Do you believe you can control another person's drinking, or maybe even all of their behavior? And what consequences have your attempts to control someone else led to? Welcome to episode 207 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Jennifer and Lucy. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Jennifer and Lucy, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who ever have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. I wanted to start with a reading. This is from the book, How Al-Anon Works, Chapter 4, titled, Understanding Ourselves and Alcoholism. This section begins, We Can't Control It. Even though we might admit we didn't cause the drinking, on another level we may still feel responsible. Although we try everything, the alcoholics still drink. We attempt anything that makes success and much that doesn't. Yet we refuse to give up because we feel it makes us look weak and out of control. There must be something else we can do. The only thing we didn't do was give up. When we finally surrendered, we realized that we were only giving up our futile struggle against an incurable disease. Then we were free to focus on what we could do something about rather than trying to change what we couldn't. As I have mentioned in the past couple of episodes, I started working with a small group, which we call an AWOL group. AWOL stands for A Way of Life or A Way of Living. We're going to be studying the steps together. We're doing this from the Al-Anon book, Paths to Recovery, starting with step one. And I thought it might make an interesting series of episodes to look at how I'm currently answering some of the questions in that book on my recovery journey. And we're meeting every couple of weeks. And for our first meeting, we said, let's look at the first five questions under step one. So here they are. The first question says, do I accept that I cannot control another person's drinking? Question another person's behavior. And I know that when I first saw this question, the first time I worked through this book had been in the program a few months. I read that question, do I accept that I can not control another person's drinking? I said, absolutely not. I'm, I'm sure I can control my loved one's drinking. And then the second part got me because it says, do I believe I can control another person's behavior? And I wasn't able to say yes to that, I thought. Or, do I accept I cannot control another person's behavior, I guess is the way the question is actually worded. And I can answer, yes, I I do accept that I can't control everything about another person's behavior. But when it comes down to the specific behavior of drinking, I thought I ought to be able to control it. And so that first question was a real wake-up for me in my recovery, because I realized that drinking is behavior, and if I can't control behavior, maybe I can't control drinking. Where am I now? Let me think. 15 years later. Yes. I wrote, at this point in my recovery, I have mostly accepted that I cannot control another person's behavior or drinking, at least consciously. I still have feelings sometimes that I ought to be able to make someone do what I want them to do. So if I accept consciously, if I believe consciously that I can't control behavior, but underneath in, I don't know, my subconscious or whatever you want to call it, I still feel like I ought to be able to make people act the way I want them to act, right? It just seems like that should be true. And it's it's not. I know it's not. And so I think that when I'm acting out of this 
subconscious belief that I ought to be able to make people do what I want them to do. I ought to be able to make things work out the way I want them to work out. Then that can lead to uh, frustration, resentment, and anger on my part. Let's see what else I wrote. I wrote, I think this can lead to some frustration and resentment when they don't meet my unstated expectations. The second question in the book says, how do I recognize that the alcoholic is an individual with habits, characteristics, and ways of reacting to daily happenings that are different from mine? This is something I'm still learning because there are ways of behavior, ways of responding to things that happen There are ways of thinking that I think are obvious. I may think it's obvious that, okay, here's, here's one that, you know, I'm still, I'm still feeling resentful about because I haven't done anything about it. When my wife goes to bed, she puts her phone on the bedside table, as do I. She has a friend who stays up late and sends text messages. And every time a text message comes, the phone buzzes. And if I'm trying to get to sleep, it jolts me back awake. And I have to realize, oh, it's not my phone. And then I start trying to go to sleep again. And then another time, and this just happened last night several times. And so it's, it's fresh in my mind. And to me, the obvious thing to do is to put the phone on silent. If you're not going to answer it, if you're not going to respond to it, put it on silent so that it doesn't buzz. Have I asked her to do that? No. Okay. So there's my part in that. But I just think it's obvious. I think she ought to know that if she's not going to answer the phone, she should put it on silent so that it doesn't bother us. But you know what? She's not me. She doesn't think like me. She doesn't have the same expectations. She doesn't have the same um, ideas. She doesn't have, what does it say? Uh, Habits, characteristics, and ways of reacting to daily happenings. Yeah, they're different from mine. And so what is obvious to me, make the phone stop buzzing, damn it, is not obvious to her. Maybe I should ask her to do it, you know, because, yeah. What else did I write here? I said, this is something I'm still learning. Right. Things that seem obvious and reasonable to me are not for other people. What I have come to do is to give her space to express her wishes and opinions. And I have a recent example for that. We um, just bought a new used car. And so that involves, you know, going to car dealers, looking at what's available, uh, having, having a set of criteria in our heads that may or may not be explicit, that may or may not be expressed test driving, sitting in cars, looking at cars, talking about cars. The thing about buying a used car is you don't get exactly what you want because it's very unlikely that the person who owned the car before you put exactly the things in it that you want, made it exactly the color that you want, etc. And so buying a used car is always a compromise, at least in my, my, experience, my limited experience. I've only bought, I don't know how many used cars, less than half a dozen, I think, in my life. And so it's, it's a compromise. We have different unstated expectations and desires about about the car. We went one night when the car dealers were open past working hours because car dealers only have a couple days a week when they're actually open at a time when we can go, which I think is unreasonable also, but that's the way it is. And so we went, we test drove, we had particular criteria. So we test drove, I think, three cars at that dealer and then went home and a few days later went to a different dealer for a different brand and test drove another car. But after the first night, there were two cars that seemed both kind of equal in a number of factors. Neither of them had a color that we were completely happy with. Uh, One, the, the exterior color was white, which just means it's really hard to keep it looking clean. And the other, the interior color was one that neither of us really liked a lot. 
but the exterior was was very nice. They were different cars, different gas mileage, different seats, et cetera, et cetera. So we got the information about those two cars and we went home. I don't remember if it was later that evening or the next day. She said, you know, I really don't like that that one car because I just don't think I can live with that interior color, which actually matched my opinion. But I have learned that I need to give her time to work through her process to come to her own conclusions. And then maybe they agree with mine and maybe they don't. And if they do, that's cool. And if they don't, then we, we can talk about it from more of an equal footing of, of each of us having really decided what we want on our own and not feeling like, oh, I have to make a decision to match the other person. Then we, you know, we went back and we actually bought the white car, but it took us, it took us that time and it took each of us to put our own criteria in to decide to make that decision. So there's an example. The third question says, do I accept that alcoholism is a disease and how does that change how I deal with a drinker? I got to say that question is somewhat easier for me now that my wife is sober, but I wrote, yes, at this point, it is clear to me. I sometimes am frustrated when people don't treat their disease and I feel that it is their responsibility to do so. I mean, wouldn't they treat cancer or diabetes if they had it? You know, diabetes is, is the disease that alcoholism is often compared to because they're both chronic. They both require lifelong treatment to keep them in remission uh, or under control or however you want to put it. And if somebody had diabetes and was not watching what they ate, was not uh, taking insulin if that's what they needed or monitoring their blood sugar if that's what they needed, I would think that, you know, they're, they're not taking care of themselves. And similarly, if somebody's got alcoholism and they're not, and they should be taking care of themselves. As I've, I think I've said before, the difference and the fundamental difference and the thing that makes it so hard is that alcoholism is a mental illness. It's, it's a mental, spiritual and physical illness. Because of that, it affects the behavior of the person. It's a self-reinforcing, self-supporting disease, as are many mental illnesses. Depression affects a person in a way that makes it very difficult for them to actually treat the depression. I've seen this happen in, in loved ones of mine. They're just so depressed they can't do anything. And if they can't do anything, then maybe they can't do the things that would help bring them out of the depression. And, and so sometimes people need help from outside to, uh, to come back, you know, to come back to a state of, of health. And I think this is true also of, of alcoholism, that when somebody's in the disease, it's very hard, often very hard to, to treat the disease because the disease defends itself. It's just a weird thing. It really is. My wife has a cousin who's been diagnosed as schizophrenic and, you know, I'm not sure he's still alive actually, but I know there was a time when he preferred to be in his disease than to treat it because he didn't like the way that the medication made him feel. He thought it made him not himself. And there were severe consequences of this. He ended up living on the street and I think he eventually ended up in treatment. It's a similar situation where the disease defends itself. The disease works against the treatment of the disease because it affects the way you think. And, and it's also true of alcoholism. And so how does that change how I deal with my loved one, how I dealt with my loved one when she was drinking? It meant that I understood that the way she was acting was a symptom of the disease, and it was not something that she was choosing to do, that she was consciously choosing, that she was unable to get herself out of there 
and that made it easier. It made it easier to love her while hating the behavior. Question four, how have I tried to change others in my life? What were the consequences? For me, the consequences of trying to change somebody in the primary example, of course, is, is trying to get my loved one to stop drinking. The consequences of that attempt to at control were extreme frustration, anger, despair, resentment, rage. It was not good. I think that in that attempt to control or in that attempt to run away from, you know, well, if you're not going to change, I'm just going to go do what I want to do. We also had suffered some financial consequences because there was some some spending like, oh, well, if you're spending all this money on booze, I'm going to spend this money on other stuff kind of opinion as well. And that wasn't, it just wasn't good. So examples, when she found sobriety from drinking, um, she engaged in, in a number of other addictive behaviors over the years. And for each of those, I had to, I had to basically let go of my desire to control that behavior each time. When she was newly sober, she was eating a lot of ice cream. And I didn't like this. I didn't think this was healthy. I thought she should stop doing it. And I told her so. And she told me, you should call your sponsor. Okay. So I called my sponsor and my sponsor said, okay, you've expressed your opinion. Now you have to shut up. It is not your business. It is her business. And you've expressed your opinion. So let go. Like, ah, man, why do you have to be right? Each, each different behavior I had to, to, uh, to let go of individually. One of our children as a teen decided that they were going to experiment with various drugs, mostly hallucinogenic drugs. We tried to control that. We took them to counseling. We talked to them. We said, "Are you? do you think you'd be willing to not do this while you're living in our house? Uh, and the answer basically was, uh, no, F you. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. This child is still, I mean, they're an adult now, but they're still my kid. I think when they were, when they were a teenager, when they were in high school, they picked up smoking and they continue to do that. They're vaping now instead of smoking cigarettes or whatever. But again, this is something that I wish I could stop. Uh, I'm pretty clear that I can't. When we tried to say, you know, this is not good for you. You should stop doing it. Basically we're met with, oh, I can stop whenever I want to. I've done it many times. And I've heard that one before. And then there's my parents who I believe, well, I and my siblings would like to see them in a living situation where they're closer to help should problems arise. They live in a house they built themselves for their retirement. It's in a beautiful location up above a lake, gorgeous views. They're 30 minutes from the nearest hospital. They're down a half mile dirt road. And when I say down, I mean down or you know up when you're leaving. And we're just concerned that if something happened, that they might not be able to get help in time. And if it happened in the winter, it might be very difficult for help to get to them. So we would like to see them in a different living situation. And they, we've, we expressed that to them last summer when we were visiting, and they basically said no. And again, we knew that we weren't gonna, we weren't gonna change them. And so, what we need, what we have done is to sort of step back and say, well, okay, if they're not willing to move, what steps could they take that would make us more comfortable about their safety? My mother has got some, apparently some form of dementia. My father is basically her 24. 
seven caregiver and so one possibility that I think we're going to raise when we're visiting this summer is maybe getting some respite care because we're seeing effects on him and we don't know if it's him getting older or the the effects of being the caregiver and just sort of grinding him down. We know what we want. We want them to be safe. We don't really know how to get there. And we know that we can't make them do something they don't want to do. So the consequence there is a little bit of fear, a little bit of worry, I guess. But also learning from the program to look for what we can do. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can. Still figuring out if what we can change there. And the fifth question for this meeting, for this podcast episode, is what means have I used to get what I want and need? What might work better to get my needs met? So the assumption there is that I've used some methods to try to get what I want that didn't work. And so looking back, I often tried to get my needs met indirectly. I would try to manipulate a situation. I would ignore what other wa- others wanted and just go ahead and do what I wanted. I would make hints, or I just would expect my wife to read my mind about what I wanted, what I need, and and she would just do the right thing because she would know what I wanted, right? And these methods generally don't work very well in different ways. So if I manipulate the situation, I might actually get to what I want, or I might not get to what I want, but in the process, I'm probably generating some ill feeling in the people around me, and I'm also you know, it has it has an effect on my spirit when I do that sort of thing. That if I feel I have to be underhanded to you know, manipulate a situation to to get what I want, rather than just outright asking for it, I end up feeling often feeling a little dirty about it, ignoring other people's wants and needs. This this came up. We were traveling, probably driving to visit my parents or something. I just stopped and pulled up to a restaurant for for lunch. I was like, it's time to get lunch. We'll stop here and get lunch. I think it was a subway or something. It doesn't really matter. Some some side of the road at highway exit place. And my wife said, oh, um, are we having lunch? You didn't say anything. Uh, Maybe I'm, I'm not ready for lunch. And I would really like you to talk to me about this sort of thing before you just make a decision and stop at, at a place because I might have, I might have different wishes. I might have different wants. And I was like, Oh yeah, you know, I guess you're right. So just ignoring other people and doing what I want then leads to anger, resentment on their part leads to general unpleasantness. Expecting other people to read my mind just really doesn't work. I think you should understand that I want to do this thing and then we're not doing it. And I'm mad at you because you didn't know that I wanted to do it because I didn't tell you just, wow, what twisted thinking that I, I have had and sometimes still do sometimes still do. I won't say that this never happens. What do I do now? Well, what I didn't do in the past was to actually state directly what I wanted. And I think I understand often why that was the case. I think that was often the case because I was afraid that the other person would say no. I was afraid that I wouldn't get what I wanted. So instead, I was willing to risk resentment over me just taking what I wanted or not getting what I wanted because I wasn't able to manipulate the situation or not getting what I wanted because you didn't read my mind, but I wasn't refused. I wasn't told no. And somehow being told no was worse than not getting it because you didn't read my mind. Yeah, okay. Recovery is a process. 
But asking, asking for what I want, asking directly for what I want often works a lot better. It's amazing. Sometimes I say, hey, I'd like to do this. And the response is, well, so would I. So that's cool. And sometimes it's, well, I'd rather do this other thing. And actually that other thing is something that I'm fine with too. So why not? Again, going back to the, the car buying, uh, I was able to say, I, I like this car. I'm not happy that it's white, but I like a lot of other things about it. I particularly, it, it's a fairly new model, so it has some features that older ones don't. And it cost us a little bit more than we were expecting to, to pay. But to me, it was worth it to get those features. And I was able to say, I really like this better. I'm, I'm willing to pay the extra money to get it. You know, I ended up getting what I wanted and we ended up reaching that decision together. And so we both feel good about it. That's such a difference from, from the way it used to be sometimes. So that's, those are my current answers to the first five questions in step one chapter in the book, Paths to Recovery. I'll be sharing those with the rest of my AWOL group in a couple of days, and I'll be interested to hear what the other people in the group have to say, but I won't be reporting those back here because um, there is a confidentiality agreement within the group. After a short break, I'll talk about my life in recovery, how recovery is working in my daily life and in my meetings. For this episode, I found some songs about control, about controlling another person or about feeling that you're being controlled. And the first song is an oldie by Leslie Gore titled, You Don't Own Me. I'm just going to pick some lyrics out. You don't own me. I'm not just one of your many toys. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to say. And please, when I go out with you, don't put me on display because you don't own me. Don't try to change me in any way. You don't own me. Don't tie me down because I'd never stay. I don't tell you what to say. I don't tell you what to do. So just let me be myself. That's all I ask of you. So it's been a couple of weeks. Last week, we were busy buying a car, which took up several of our evenings and afternoons. It was Father's Day, which took up Sunday afternoon, which is when I usually record the podcast. And in consequence, I did not record a podcast episode. Yeah, you heard about the car buying experience and using my program tools and in that process of spending a lot of money and both of us coming out of it feeling good about our decision. So that that was a that was a good thing. And that I think both of us were using our recovery tools there. I had the first meeting of my AWOL group almost two weeks ago now. We spent most of that time talking about how we wanted to be together as a group, whether we wanted to invite other people into the group, how often we wanted to meet, how long we wanted to meet, how we wanted to work through the book. The uh, couple of options there, at least one is do a step every month and just talk about the things for that step that feel important to us. And the other is take as long as it takes. And I don't think we really reached a decision on that. We've decided, as I said, to look at the first five questions on step one for for our first meeting where we, where we actually start working the step. We did read step one out of the book, Paths to Recovery, and then uh, we agreed to uh, to come back this week and talk about what we discovered in answering those questions. Yeah, so we also talked about how how our meeting together would go. Would we just share without any discussion? Would we allow 
crosstalk. And what we decided, and again, you know, this is an agreement that is certainly changeable as, as we go forward, as we discover where our comfort really is. We decided that we would have basically a first round of sharing without response. So each person gets a chance to talk about what they found without any feedback, response, questions from the other people in the group. And that then we would have a more open discussion following that. Uh, some people really wanted to have discussion, and, and I have found that valuable to be able to actually say, well, you, you know, you said this, and it really, it really struck me. Can, can you say a little more on that? Or, wow, this is how I feel about that. Um, and when we do that in a spirit of openness and love, it can really work. And so we'll see how it goes. So that's a big thing. So what are, what are, what's coming up? Well, one thing that's coming up for me is a fair amount of traveling in the months of July and August. And so that will probably mean that I'll be posting some open talks or reposting some older episodes because it's going to be difficult for me to record new shows while I'm traveling. And we got holidays, all that fun stuff coming up. But I do want to talk about the three P's, which are perfectionism, procrastination, and paralysis. I've gotten, I think, a couple of you writing in with your thoughts on the three P's, and that's great. I'm trying to find a co-host. The uh, local friends who I had hoped to do it with are very busy this summer, and I don't think we're going to get to it. So if you're interested in being a co-host, drop me a line, and we can set up a time to talk about our three P's. Those are, it's a great topic. Uh, you can join the conversation also by leaving a voicemail or an email. You can leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. And if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. If you'd like to share also your thoughts about um, these questions, and in fact, I figure in a couple of weeks, I want to talk maybe about the next set of questions, assuming that's where, where the, my, my group goes. Uh, and those questions, and I will put these on the website, but you can read them out right now. Those questions are, how do I feel when the alcoholic refuses to be and do what I want? How do I respond? What would happen if I stopped trying to change the alcoholic or anyone else? How can I let go of others' problems instead of trying to solve them? Am I looking for a quick fix to my problems? Is there one? In what situations do I feel excessive responsibility for other people? In what situations do I feel shame or embarrassment for someone else's behavior? I'd love to hear your thoughts on those questions. Again, voicemail, 734-707-8795. Email feedback at therecovery.show. And I hope to talk about that in a couple of weeks. So we'll take a, a short break before looking at your emails and voicemails. And the second song that I picked for this episode is by Three Days Grace. It's called Just Like You. And again, this is more from the perspective of the person who is somebody's trying to control, just like the Leslie Gore song. Some lyrics here. You thought you were standing beside me. You were only in my way. You're wrong if you think that I'll be just like you. You thought you were there to guide me. You were only in my way. You're wrong if you think that I'll be just like you. And to me, that speaks to this idea that each of us is a separate person with our own, what's it say, characteristics, habits, and ways of reacting to daily happenings or something is the wording. So it speaks to, to that second question pretty directly. Mm-hmm. 
wrote with a question. Recovery Show Crew. Hello, everyone. First off, I want to say thank you for your podcast. I've been listening to it the last several weeks to help with my own recovery as an Al-Anon member. I've also been going to several local Al-Anon meetings, but I've been the only male during the sessions and haven't found a sponsee yet. With that said, I've come across a situation that I feel has turned somewhat inappropriate. My spouse is a recovering alcoholic and has been in the AA program and sober for just over a year now. I recently discovered that she has been in close continuous contact with another single member of the opposite sex. Their contact is mostly via text messaging and has been in excess of several hundred messages a week, spanning from the time my spouse wakes up to until she goes to bed. I brought this to her attention and let her know I was not comfortable with this behavior as is my spouse with communications with the opposite sex. I did some reading last night on this matter, and I read some posts from people that experienced similar instances. They recommended that it be brought to the attention of both parties, my dislike for the behavior, and then to drop the matter, giving up the need to further try to control the situation. My spouse is very defensive over this and is stating that this is my issue and this other AA member is just a really good friend. I feel I'm at a loss of what to do next and how I should proceed. If you know of other similar situations and how other people have handled it, I'm all ears and would greatly appreciate some assistance with this matter. Andy. Yeah, so this is not, this is not something that, that I've faced myself um, with, with my spouse, but I have some thoughts here. Um, I think Bringing it out and saying you're uncomfortable with it is an entirely appropriate thing to do. Um, and then <laughs> actually, this is a great, this is a great email to go with this episode because it's all about, you know, we just, I just was talking about how it's not possible to really control another person's behavior, but it is important to say what we're comfortable with, but it's, it's pretty much impossible to stop it. My own experience is that yes, there are, there are very few men uh, in some of my Al-Anon meetings, some of them have quite a few, some of them have only a few. And for some reason, sometimes I see men come in and then they, and then they go out where maybe their spouse stays. And I don't completely understand why that is either. In consequence, a lot of my friends in the program are women. I have often communicated with them, called them, texted them uh, with program issues because they're the people that are there. There's another issue in there for me, which is that I have found it harder to completely open up with another man. I think there's a fear of being judged, just that our society says that we don't do that. You know, the way we are with the guys is is this sort of superficial, often jokey, maybe slightly insulting, and not open and honest. And so it's difficult for me to do that. I would rather, I would rather open up with a woman. It's easier for me. For a long time, I've actually been listening to a podcast called Recovered by a friend of mine who is the person who got me started in podcasting. His podcast is mostly from the AA perspective. And a number of times I've heard his guests, both male and female, say that when they came into the program, they had a lot of trouble trusting or opening up with members of their same sex. Women talked about having trouble not trusting other women to be open and honest. Men talked about not trusting other men to be open and honest. In the program, learning how to have friendships with members of their same sex. It's very possible that this is one of the factors in your wife's choice of this person to communicate with. Yeah, I think that's all I've got. So yeah, Andy, that's that's a tough situation. It sounds like you're doing what the program would recommend, which is expressing your 
desires, your needs, and letting go of the outcome because really that's all you can do. I don't know if your if your spouse has a sponsor. I would encourage her to talk to the sponsor about the situation because if there is inappropriate behavior happening there, um, she's more likely to really hear the message from her sponsor than from you because hopefully she's would be less defensive in that relationship. Lorianne wrote to us with a question and a suggestion. She writes, Hi Spencer, it is obvious how much effort and hard work you put into the podcast each week, and I was wondering what is the easiest form of feedback or comments for you to process for the show? Is it easier to play an audio clip or read an email? I'm happy to do either and would prefer to be helpful. In answer to, to that question, I think it's easier to read an email, but I would actually prefer voicemail because that puts another voice into the podcast, and particularly when it's a solo episode like it is today, you get somebody else's voice instead of mine for a little while, and it maybe makes a little break. So either way, whatever works for you, I love to hear your voice. And not just Lorianne's voice, okay? I mean, anybody's voice. She says, also, may I suggest for a future open talk, one of my favorite Al-Anon speakers, Mary Pearl of Little Rock, Arkansas. She has spoken over many years, and there is a range of material available from her over the years. I believe that she has finally retired from the speaker circuit. Thank you for your hard work and service, Lorianne. And I know that I have listened to some talks by Mary Pearl in the past. I don't know if I've ever published one on the podcast. So that's a great idea. And as I have these travel weeks coming up, I think I'm going to go look for some talks by Mary Pearl and publish at least one of them while while I'm traveling. And then uh, Lorianne called in with some voicemail. Hi, Spencer. This is Lorianne. And I'm responding to a letter that was sent in by Jacob. Sorry, I think it was episode 204. And it was about violence. And I think it was very courageous that he shared what he did in that letter. And I wanted to respond by, by saying, no, no, you're not alone for me. Anger has been a huge Al-Anon issue, and throughout my life it's taken many forms. Without Al-Anon, without working a program, without taking accountability and ownership for my part, for my behaviors, for my reactions, I think I could have ended up in some very serious places. I think about the play Chicago and, and all these women who committed acts of passion, crimes of passion, I'm sorry. Yeah, but there, it, it just escalates to a point of being unstoppable. Without a program, it only seems to get worse. I am definitely a person who, in my past history, from my previous marriages, um, I've Definitely was a person who threw things, broke things, punched holes in walls. Um, and this was actually extended from, from growing up. This was the environment I was raised around. And you no, know, it wasn't due to somebody's drinking as often is publicized. So often you hear about alcoholism and, and domestic violence. Some families are, are angry and violent and some people are angry and violent. It's so important that I be accountable for my behavior. And just because there might be an abuser around me, whether it's a drug abuser, alcohol abuser, 
that does not take away accountability of how I react. Yeah, if, if you ever want to do an episode on violence, I would be very happy to participate um, and share what I can, and, and hopefully someone would might benefit my experience. Thank you. Thank you, Lorianne, for that response, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope, and for your courage in doing so. Michael dropped us a line, writes, Hello, Spencer. As an episode idea, I wondered about a discussion or reflection about loved ones who pass away due to alcoholism. My qualifier recently died from the disease, but I know that just because he's gone, my recovery doesn't stop. I also wanted to thank you for the ACA episode. My mother grew up in an alcoholic home, and she never really talked about it. It was very insightful to hear Emily's experience. Thank you so much for the podcast. It really is such an important resource. In gratitude, Michael. That's a great episode topic. I don't have much personal experience on that, but I have friends who do, and so maybe we can put something together there. Thank you. Lisa left a short comment on the Corey L. Open Talk. She writes, Loved Corey. Oh my gosh, she had me laughing and really thinking. Thank you. And that is another way you can communicate, share your experience or your notes with us, your feedback with us, is to leave comments on the episode show notes on the website, which is therecovery.show. This episode is therecovery.show slash 207. Catherine wrote, I just discovered this site today when I googled the three A's and I'm so grateful. I had to let you know how grateful I am. We'll be tuning in regularly. Thank you for helping me get the now back and live in the right now for today. And thank you, Catherine, for your feedback. Emily left us a voicemail. Hey, Spencer. It's Emily in Indiana. I wanted to call and leave a message about past two episodes. First, I wanted to say that I really appreciated the open talk from Corey L. I thought it was really funny, and they always are. I really love Al-Anon leads, and in my city, we don't have any Al-Anon leads ever, so it's really nice that you post those, because I often don't think to look for them. I don't know why. That's just something I don't think to look for ever, so I really appreciate that you um, that you do that, and that one that was really funny. So, thank you for the open talk. And then the most recent episode about it's the journey. Of course, it really spoke to me. Everything on the recovery show speaks to me. It all applies to me. So, one of the things that really struck me was, of course, expectations. My expectations of myself are greater than my expectations of anyone else. I mean, they're just through the roof. And they are not as bad as they used to be, but sometimes they are. Sometimes they still are. I have to really watch myself. I can be very, very critical of myself. I can't remember if we touched on that in the adult children episode, but that's something that really, really hits hard, that critical inner voice. And that's, uh, I got called out on that. Not really, actually. Well, in my home group yesterday, I was talking about, you know, I had kind of a rough week with my qualifier and you know, I was talking about how I just wanted things to be easy for my daughter. You know, she's so young and I just wanted things to be good and smooth and easy for her. And someone said, you know, they are because she has you. And it dawned on me, I'm, I'm just being so self-critical and I didn't even realize it. It's just so normal for me 
to have these super high expectations of myself and to be so self-critical, it's just so normal for me. So I didn't even realize it. So they didn't so much call me out on it as I called myself out on it. And I never would have seen that, you know, before I came into Al-Anon. I, I didn't even know that that was what I was doing. So that's expectations. I still something I struggle with all the time. Expectations of myself, expectations of other people. I'm getting so much better about not having those expectations of other people. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was some of the step work. Um, I'm not entirely through the steps yet. I'm currently on step 10. You know, you started talking about step 7. My sponsor and I started working through the steps. Step 7 so far has been my absolute favorite step. <laughs> but I wanted to go back a little bit because we got we did step 4 and I was scared to death to do step 4. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, everybody talks about step 4 and it's like, if you do this inventory, and oh my gosh, it's so scary. And then I did it, and it was like, oh, that's not so scary. And we would do a little bit of it, and then we would talk about it. And then the next week, we would meet, do a little bit more, and talk about it. And then we got to step five. We were doing this all through paths of recovery. So we got to step five, and I said, okay, I'm ready for step five. And she said, we've already done it. And I was like, what What do you mean? And she said, well, we were reading it. You know, we were talking about your inventory as you were making it. And I was like, oh, my God, we did step five and I didn't even know it. I thought that was so funny. And then when we got to step six, all the things that were relating to a higher power, I didn't have a basis for a higher power before I came into Al-Anon. So I really had to figure that out. I really had to do a lot of work to figure that out and build on that. And the key part in that for me was willingness, was just being willing being open and willing. So that's anything, any of the steps that have to do with with um, a higher power was just being willing. And I'm like, oh, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. But when it got to step seven, I really loved step seven. It was so freeing. It was like, oh, my gosh, as I keep finding these these shortcomings, you know, these defects of character that come up in my life, I can just ask for them to be taken away. It's amazing. You know, as these things come up every day in my life, it's like, oh, my God, it's so easy. It's so simple. I can just say, please help me with this. And it was just so freeing. It was like a weight was lifted off when I got to step seven, and I really loved it. So, anyway, I'll leave it at that. Thank you for letting me share. See ya. Thank you, Emily, for your for your call. So much in there. So much in there. Thank you doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses, which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Jennifer and Lucy did. And thank you again, Jennifer and Lucy. We have a list of recovery-related books. Just click or tap on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show, or just listening to us. We are here for you. And the last song that I picked... For this episode, which again you can get at the recovery.show slash 207, we'll have a YouTube video link there. It's by The Pretenders. It's called I'll Stand By You. In this song, what I see is someone offering support and love without controlling. 
A few lyrics here let me see you through, cause I've seen the dark side too. When the night falls on you, you don't know what to do. Nothing you confess could make me love you less. I'll stand by you. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. 